the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to Masterclass U.S. Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. This show has been designed to demystify the U.S. market for Italian wineries through interviews with experts in sales and distribution, social media, communications, and so much more. We will quiz each of our esteemed guests at the end of each episode to solidify the lessons that we've learned. So sharpen your pencils, get out your notebooks, and join us this week to learn more about the U.S. market. Hello, welcome to Masterclass U.S. Wine Market. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Amanda McCrossan and Kristen Reitzel to the Italian Wine Podcast. We're here today recording live at Wine to Wine in Verona at, at the Italian Wine Podcast headquarters, so a little different setup. So just introduce my guest, Amanda McCrossan, certified sommelier, wine personality, and TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube creator. And we also have Kristen Reitzel, Senior Vice President of Communications and Digital Marketing at Jackson Family Wines. Kristen manages all aspects of the company's communication strategy, overseeing corporate and family communications, as well as PR, digital marketing, and influencer marketing, which is what we're here to talk about today. We're recording again live in Verona. Uh, Kristen and Amanda are both speaking this year presenting a session called the Influencer Marketing Playbook, which is going to close out this year's conference. But we get to hear from them today about the key takeaways. And if you didn't make it to Wine to Wine this year, uh, this episode will give you a great overview of everything that they shared in their presentation. It's so great to have you both here in Verona. We see each other usually in Napa or New York, so it's a lot of fun to be over here on the other side of the pond. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Very happy to be here eating pasta and sharing thoughts. Yes, yes. exactly. What could be better? Yeah. Drinking wine, too, of course, right? Okay, so before we dive into today's discussion about influencer marketing, let's tell our listeners a little bit more about both of you and how you found yourselves here today in Verona in this sound booth with me. So, Amanda, let's start with you. You've been on the Italian Wine Podcast before, so our listeners might already be a little bit familiar with you, but give us an overview of your story. Yeah, last year I got to come to Wine to Wine to talk about all things TikTok and wine because that was a platform that I started building a few years ago. But my background is in wine. I have a previous background in theater, film, and TV, which is sort of how I came to really put all those things together after I worked the floor at a restaurant in Napa Valley called Press and ran Mm -hmm. the wine program there. I started my social media presence about eight years ago and started with Instagram and YouTube and subsequently left the restaurant business in 2020, completely unrelated to COVID. (laughs) But perfect timing. (laughs) Perfect timing. And took my content creation full-time in the wine world. So today I am a full-time content creator, digital creator, influencer, if you will, Mm -hmm. and uh, wine speaker. And so I'm excited to be back at Wine to Wine this year, sort of moving the needle a little bit more into the social media world, but then also talking about the hows of influencer marketing, because last year we talked more about the whys. Right, definitely. And I think that's so valuable for this audience, the how, like how how do they approach it? And Kristen, that's where you come in as well. And tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled to be back. I had the opportunity to come in last year and actually more talk about just getting social media to work for a U.S. audience. Um, I'm excited to dive into more of the, a niche topic around that, and that's something I touched on very briefly last year. 
um, was how to work and use influencers to be part of your overall marketing strategy. So digging deep into that with Amanda, I think that, you know, as a winery, I can come from that perspective. But hearing the perspective of the influencer, the creator is really important. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a really great topic where whether you're a producer or you are thinking about working with influencers, you're really going to hear from both of us and our perspectives, and it's the best way to marry this topic. Yeah. But I've attended Vanina Lee International with our winery Arceno in Chianti Classico, and I heard about this conference and was really excited to be asked to speak last year and come back this year. So Yeah, it's great to have you both back again. Let's dive in the three key takeaways for today's masterclass and what you're both going to be presenting on at Wine to Wine, but also what we're talking about today. Number one, what do influencers look for in winery partners? Number two, ways that you can work with influencers to capture compelling content about your brand. Uh, and number three, how wineries can measure the ROI of influencer marketing. So like we said, we're really talking about the how in today's episode, which I think is going to be great for our listeners. So, Kristen, let's start with you. Uh, for any of our listeners that aren't yet convinced about why they should do influencer marketing, tell us about the benefits of a brand investing in influencer marketing based on your experience you know, at Jackson Family Wines. I will preface answering this question with I hope I never have to answer the question <laughs> around why should you be working with influencers. I think it's more how to better work with influencers. Right. I think that influencer marketing is a cornerstone now of our marketing strategy across all winery brands in the portfolio from La Crema, which is available across the world, really, and really predominantly in the U.S., up to Cardinal, which is very exclusive, hard to get, very allocation-based. Um, and we work with influencers across all of that. So the first thing I would say is that it should be something you're looking at as mm -hmm. part of your marketing strategy. Um, it's absolutely, these are independent voices. They have built-in audiences. They're creating compelling content that gives context to wine and gives context to what wine is in right. our life. And I think that they have a really interesting point of view. And if that point of view matches what you're trying to be and present yourself as a winery, it's just another opportunity for storytelling, mm -hmm. just like in a magazine or a blogger or um, having your own podcast. And I think that if people are hesitant about that, just look at it as like another media channel, especially if you're looking at it from a traditional media perspective. And sometimes it's hard to grasp that. It's absolutely just like working with another media partner. And there's so mm -hmm. much value in that. And it's a bit more authentic than yeah. some of these other third-party endorsers. And I would add a bit more accessible. I, I mean, I think the, the cost to entry when it comes to placing an ad in Wine Spectator or a mainstream media publication like the New York Times is extremely high. And with influencer marketing, there's lots of different levels. I know we're going to talk about the cost of influencer marketing, but really there's lots of different ranges in which you can work with influencers, which I think is another key, right? Yeah, and I think that there's so much more ad value you can get out of that partnership and that investment where you, I hate saying stretch your dollars more, but there's an opportunity for, you know, utilizing that content, have someone else tell your story. And I think what's really different is this is a trust that their audience has with them. And the best influencers are ones that have a discerning point of view and they don't just work with everyone. Right. And that's how they build that trust with their audience. And the value of that goes so much further. It's 
much more measurable. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier to actually show ROI totally. than sometimes placing an ad, especially if it's not a digital ad. It is really hard to be like, did that drive impact? Did right. that help lift, you know, in the particular marketplace or actually drive, you know, be it top funnel marketing, like mm-hmm. I'm just trying to drive awareness or even low funnel conversion. I've always found it's actually really easy to prove the ROI of an influencer partnership. Yeah, because it's digital. It's much more trackable. Yeah. And, you know, Kristen, you mentioned influencers aren't working with every winery partner, every partner in general. So Amanda, talk to us a little bit more. Like, how do you select the winery partners that you're going to work with? Yeah, there's a few sort of key points that I'm looking for. Obviously, those of us who are doing this full-time or even part-time are looking to make money. This is a career for us, so there is a financial benefit. But there's also, like, a professional benefit as well. So one of the things I'm looking for is obviously a, a brand partner who fits and aligns, as Kristen said, with my core values. But then the other big thing that I think even supersedes the financial and professional gain is also does it add value to my audience? Meaning mm-hmm. if I put this out on my platform, what are they going to take away from that? And there's a lot of different takeaways that you – can offer. It doesn't have to just be like a discount or, you know, a new product. Sometimes it can just be a moment away from real life to Mm -hmm. look at something that's really beautiful. There is a voyeuristic component. So that's a big one. The other things that I'm looking for are, you know, as simple as does this potential partner have clear directives? Mm -hmm. Um, Do they know what they want out of this campaign? I think sometimes when a winery or a partner approaches me, it's very unclear as to what they want. And sometimes the deliverables are not feasible. I think what they're looking for is not feasible. So a clear directive and realistic expectations Mm -hmm. would be huge. And then also I think just a partner who understands that we're in this together, but I also want autonomy out of this partnership, the ability to create content that I know that it's, it's going to resonate. And so I think one of the ways that I love seeing that is, hey, we really loved X, Y, and Z pieces of content, and mm-hmm. we'd love to do something with you. And it gives me an idea of what they appreciate, what they like, and potentially a sample of like what they would want to see with their brand represented. Right. But I think one thing that you said that's really key for listeners to remember is that it's your content Correct. and giving the creator and the influencer autonomy to create content that really resonates with their followers, because as you mentioned, you want to create content that adds value to your followers. Mm -hmm. And I think something to also talk about that's key in this conversation is reaching new audiences for wine and reaching new types of consumers. And I think there's a big opportunity with influencer marketing there. What what do you both think, Kristen, maybe starting with you? Like, how are you looking at influencer marketing through the lens of reaching new demographics? Absolutely. I think we talked a little bit earlier about those. they have this built-in audience, mm-hmm. and that audience has built trust with that person. And it's through what they talk about, what they choose to talk about, probably more importantly, what they don't choose to talk about. Uh, they have mm-hmm. that more discerning eye. So kind of going into that, I think that the goal setting and the vetting are two things that you have to have on both sides of yeah. a partnership. And I think that that's what kind of creates the, the most ideal partnership where you're partnering with this person because you liked something that you saw. Yeah. You liked their message. You liked their content. If you're not vetting that partner in mm-hmm. advance, mm-hmm. like, please do not reach out to them is what yeah. I would say. And to kind of Amanda's point, it sounds like on your side, you're like, yes, please know who you're talking to yeah. before mm-hmm. you reach out to me. Much like you would give that same advice to like a traditional journalist right like know know their publication know their beat know their tone of voice know their audience yeah it's the same for influencers and i think 
when you find that and you're like, wow, this audience really resonated with X, Y, and Z content, that's absolutely what we're trying to achieve with our brand goals. Mm -hmm. Then engage and always remember, like, you chose this person for a reason because it aligned with your goals. You did your pre-vetting. So, yes, you have to allow them to have that creative free freedom because if you're going to control it too much, you're just going to sour the relationship yeah. on both sides. And then it's going to look forced to totally. their audience. Right. And that's where you can just spiral kind yeah. of in the wrong direction. But um, we've really launched brands working mm-hmm. with influencers. We've launched new products. We've launched events. We've had exclusively digital, or sorry, exclusively marketing campaigns that were anchored in influencer relationships mm-hmm. to launch a new product and a new wine in a portfolio. Yeah. And because we knew there was this audience we wanted to tap that wasn't really the audience we already had. Right. And so they've been very successful. A lot of that ROI is, you know, conversion to the website. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's sales. Sometimes it's ticket sales. Right. So there's a lot of different ways that you can measure ROI, but you have to know, well, what's the goal first? And that's going to determine your KPI, and that's going to determine your ROI. Yeah, definitely. there is thought that has to go into this. Of course. And, you know, Amanda, when we're talking about creating successful collaborations, could you talk to us a little bit more about maybe a collaboration you found to be particularly successful for your audience or... Maybe some of the type of content you're finding right now really resonating? Yeah, we've, uh, over the past year, I've worked with a few different regional associations on some projects. And I think that for me has been some of the most interesting content because I think one, it reaches new audiences because you're touching on both travel and wine. And mm-hmm. so the, those concentric circles start to spread out beyond just my audience. You get a lot more sharing and a lot more saving. And the content that I'm specifically referring to is a little bit more like itinerary based okay. and or event based. And I think specifically the itineraries or giving an overview of a region is really helpful for people because it one, you know, gives them insight into the region, but also it talks about the region through the lens of wine, which Mm -hmm. is not often talked about. And I think it's content that people really want to see. Travel content, we already know, works really, really well within the social media spectrum. And so I think tying wine to that is great. And so the partnerships that I've done regarding that have required a lot of work on the front end in designing Mm -hmm. the itinerary and also knowing exactly what kind of content we're looking to get out of the itinerary. So very different than like press trip where you're you're with lots of different people and the itinerary is a little bit more generalized. What I'm talking about is more specified. Like, you know, I would go to a particular place really on my own, and I knew going into it I had three pieces of content that I was going after. And so I think that preparation and that expectation was really, really helpful for both sides, and Mm -hmm. it gave us really clear parameters about what we were looking for versus me just being thrown into a situation like a press trip. And there's nothing wrong with press trips. I, I enjoy them very much, but I think it was a lot more constructive, and the the outcome of it was extraordinary. I think, you know, right now I've got a piece of content that is continuing to go viral and it's moving into circles that I never would have expected. mm -hmm. Um, And then just one sort of takeaway advice that I would have is if you're going to do that, one of the things that I found is really, really helpful. If you're working, if you're a regional association or even a winery that's designing this, Mm -hmm. uh, having a centralized location with that specific itinerary that people can actually click to, people love an, an mm-hmm. area where they can literally just see all the places that you went. And so one of the things that I did that you can utilize is I set up a many chat uh, direct automation, so oh. flow automation, so that when people saw my video, I directed them to say, 
comment itinerary, and that itinerary link was sent directly to their inbox. And the conversion was incredibly high, and that not only fed the conversion, it also helped with the algorithm of the actual piece of content to help it go further and further. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think so many more people are using platforms like Instagram and TikTok to plan their vacations and their itineraries, right? So it makes sense that that content's performing so well. Mm -hmm. And I love that you brought that up, Amanda, because it's something that we've been using and experimenting with a little bit more Mm -hmm. where a comment sends a direct message Mm -hmm. to that Mm -hmm. person's DMs. I think the one thing that, the reason it's working and it works so well is because people want to actually take what you're telling them and put it into action. And I look at the way search is transforming and, you know, People that are, you know, 40 and under are turning to social for search much yep. more than Google or mm-hmm. other large search um, platforms. And mainly it's because they don't have to sift through the content. Like, they're getting the content there. They are getting – they want direct information. Right, and they right. want to be able to action it exactly. really, really quickly. And so that's one thing, too, is I always tell people, whatever you're building as your goals or your KPIs, like, let's say it is an event – and you're trying to sell tickets or build awareness around it, make sure you have your event link up. Make sure you have that ticket window up that people can immediately buy tickets. I have seen so many times because I fall victim to it where I'm like, oh, this looks really interesting. Click. I'm like, okay, well, the product's not available yet. Yeah, there's or nowhere to go. they didn't set it up <laughs> yeah. on e-commerce and I actually can't buy this. Right. Right. But you just put all this money into building beautiful content. You're working with influencers and the consumer is left with nowhere to go or nothing they can do and no action they can take. Quite honestly, what a waste of time, energy, and money. You yeah. have to have a place for the consumer to go and that place ding, 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 mm-hmm. is in digital. Because yes. if you're going to if you're gonna communicate and engage with someone in a digital place, the follow-through should be digital. Right, definitely. And just, just to add to that, I think as the influencer, it makes us look bad if you don't have an actionable way to utilize right. whatever the content is. And so I have worked on campaigns where I've sort of been put in a bad place because I've talked about a, a product mm-hmm. that wasn't easily available or it wasn't easy to find where it was. Right. And so for me, I think... If we're looking at who I'm working with, those are really important things to me. And if you're a brand, have those things ready to go before you start working with influencers. Have those have those things set up either on your website or within your social media marketing team to be actionable so that you're commenting within the actual post and then you're offering links as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of our listeners are imported brands and imported wines from Italy, right? They don't have the ability to sell direct the mm-hmm. same way that domestic wineries do in the U.S., but then think about other creative ways, like you said, to offer your product, whether it's yeah. through a retail partner or maybe you're offering experience uh, or promoting your visitation. It sounds like visitation travel is one aspect of your business that's really successful for influencer marketing and the Instagram, TikTok platforms in general. So maybe think about you know campaigns that promote your winery instead yeah. of promoting your your actual wines. And store maps as well. I think yep. you yep. know some some retailers um, or some wineries are able to provide store maps of where yep. their product is located. Yeah, that works well too. So let's get a little bit more into the how because we talked about you know the content. It's takes a while to produce this content. So let's start talking about some of the, the costs of working with influencers. So Kristen, for starters, talk to us a little bit about costs. Where, where do we start thinking and our, our listeners start wrapping their head around how to budget for influencer marketing? Um, yeah, the first thing I would say is budget for it. Um, I think that there's rarely influencers that we work with that are at a caliber where we know we're going to get that mile out of them that we're really looking for that will not be asking for yep. a monetary 
partnership. And Mm so, yes, are those moments where they're willing to do it for trade? Absolutely. Are they more few and far between? Yes. Are they typically more micro-influencers that are kind of on their way up? Yes. So if you want to work with, like, more established um, in the, you know, followers in the tens of thousands, particularly if they're in the hundreds of thousands, millions, I you know, we don't even go there. Um, That's a different industry, I think. But I think, you know, you have to look at it like you have to have a budget for it. Yeah. And it's an important part of your marketing budget. Mm -hmm. I think where I've always been able to move the needle on that with folks that might have been skeptical within my own organization or my own, you know, clients that I had before I joined Jackson Family Wines is – Think of it as just any kind of investment you would make in PR, any Mm -hmm. kind of investment you would make in content creation. Great. You carved out X amount for those two things. Influencer marketing is actually this place in between. Mm -hmm. So why don't we take a percentage of that and, like, focus on influencers? And then, like I said, it's been very easy to prove out ROI for influencer work and partnerships. And there's so many different ways you can partner. And I I just feel that's the direction the consumer is going, turning to social for things that have historically been found in other places. And so if your consumer's going there, mm-hmm. I think we always have to be thinking about putting our marketing dollars in places that our consumers are engaging and actioning and where they're with living. content yeah. and where they are. And I, I just don't see that. That's why I said, prefaced it earlier. I hope it's the last time I'm asked a question of why should we be partnering with right. influencers? I think it's almost needs to be turned around and be like, wait, you aren't partnering yet with influencers? <laughs> okay, like, let's go. And... It can be anywhere from, you know, $250 up to $2,500 up to having someone come on and support your brand for an entire year. Mm -hmm. Peter spoke earlier about brand ambassadors. Um, We have some influencers that are essentially acting as ambassadors. We contract for the year, and that's Mm – you're looking at something like $2,500 a month sometimes, but they're – building that ongoing content for you and we've seen in certain campaigns it's really valuable to have someone telling your story and building on that for the full year with those audiences yeah it's also valuable for the influencer as well i think Mm -hmm. you know one of the things that we deal with as influencers is not necessarily knowing where your next paycheck is coming from so yeah Mm -hmm. something like a year-long contract can be really beneficial not only financially because you you know you know that you have this sort of set income but then also like for your audience you just continue to build trust with them and build a relationship with product that they see day in day out so there is longevity to that for both sides yeah italian wine podcast part of the mama jumbo shrimp family And, you know, Amanda, when it comes to the cost that Kristen was describing, there's obviously a lot of production value, and anyone who follows you knows that and sees the incredible production value behind your content. So talk to us a little bit about your cost that you're incurring when you're creating content on your end. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is time. Um, I would say, in general, my posts from start to finish take anywhere in the realm of 8 to 12 hours per post between Mm -hmm. the actual concepting and scripting to the filming and then ultimately the editing and posting. Um, that's right. still not factoring in like revisions or anything mm-hmm. like that. So there's a lot of time invested in that. <laughs> and not- community management. You're also yeah. managing yes. those, you're engaging with those comments and you're trying right. to respond back. Right. And that's so, hours of time. Right. And so I think, you know, for me, I'm always thinking about not only what the time spent is in the actual content creation, I'm also thinking about some partners are, you know, require a little bit more of a handhold. You know, some yes. people mm-hmm. really want a a lot of email communication. They want a lot of meetings. And so to some degree, I am factoring that into my overall compensation structure, which is why when you know wineries reach out, I often have some questions for them around like what the scope of work looks like before we'll talk about rate. 
really all that is is to make sure that like I can give you the best possible rate. I don't want to overcharge you. I don't want to undercharge you. I want it to be exactly where it needs to be. And so that initial outreach, I think, from wineries, since we're you know it's sort of moving into this like how can wineries work with you? Really, that initial outreach should be, as I mentioned before, sample you know examples of things that you've liked in the past, mm-hmm. a very clear direction of what you want the outcome to be. And then also, I think it's also really helpful to know exactly what kind of content you're after and specifically which platforms. Mm -hmm. If you're only interested in having your content be on Instagram, say that. And I think that's a lot more clear for me to understand where that rate should be. Um, Because a lot of times I can package things, right? Mm -hmm. If I know that it's going to go both on TikTok and on Instagram, like I can work that rate in so that it's a little bit better for you. Same with Instagram stories. It's very rare that I'm going to do a post and not support with Instagram stories. And those two prices separate are very different than those two prices together. Of course. And Mm -hmm. then buildable content. You mentioned year-long content, year-long contracts, but it doesn't have to be that long. Mm -hmm. I prefer working with partners in a two to three to four month or two to three for post contract okay. where we're sort of bundling pricing you know we've got it I and it, for me it, it limits the amount of work on the front end right or because I'm I'm working with the same client and I think I can bring down price in that way so there's a lot of ways to manage your pricing structure and I think if you think about it from the influencer side mm-hmm. um, it makes a lot of sense right like ultimately we just we want to make great content, but we also want to do it in a timely fashion. Totally. And yeah. you should appreciate that time and energy that they put into it because yeah, that's yeah. just that's Perfect. content that you also can leverage. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I always say, like, you don't want them to rush it because that's also someone representing your brand. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot more collaborative ads right now. Mm-hmm. Um, those have been going really well with mm-hmm. us because they're shared across both platforms. Okay. So it'll show up on La Crema and it'll show up, like, if we were doing this with Amanda, it would show up on her platform. So it's, like, joint community management. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot of except with, like, just collaborations in general where yeah. there's kind of a mutual goal and a mutual outcome. There's a benefit on both sides that sometimes can just be, you know, brand building. Totally. Um, so knowing your value, I think, well, I jokingly say, know who you are. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes when I've just tried to help people start, like, with influencer marketing for a new brand, you know, small winery, friends of mine mm-hmm. from Cal Poly, venology pro- or, uh, analogy programs, and I'm like, they're trying to target influencers that make no sense for their, right. what their brand, like, look, feel, and identity is. And I think that's really, like, know who you are before you yeah. start asking other people to talk about you. That's just a general rule of yeah. any type of promotion. Yep. But, yeah, I think that the time that they go into content creation, like, I look at how much money we spend on video, contracting out photography, how much our, like, an in-house creative team spends building content, mm-hmm. how much my own digital marketing team spends building content. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that is a lot of work and I know how much goes into that and if I can contract some of that out and then leverage it and it feels like more authentic and third party it's kind of a win-win so you can look at that like how much are you paying for photography right now Exactly. and videography we had a client in the early days of influencer marketing that instead of hiring models we brought in influencers to the winery and did an entire photo shoot with them as the models and just to think about the thousands of dollars that saved of hiring models makeup artists etc I mean it, it was a huge value for them. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot, like Kristen, like you said, there's a lot of value add to, I think, in the influencer marketing it's funny, space. It's funny you bring that up, Juliana, because I was going to mention one of the best things that I've ever seen happen was with a regional organization who does press trips. And on the press trip, they bring in a photographer and a videographer. And what they do is the 
photographers taking photos of the whole mm-hmm. thing, aggregating content not only for their regional site, but then also aggregating content for the wineries and the restaurants that they're visiting, as well as grabbing interviews from every place and then getting video content. So, like, really when we're there, our only, uh, and it's not an only thing, but our only goal is to really capture video content. Mm-hmm. The photographer was always getting That's great. It, so it was great for press trips uh, to just really double down on making sure that you're getting Mm-hmm. you know, as much bang for your buck as you can. And, and the influencers really appreciate it as well. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of bang for your buck, let's talk a little bit about measuring, you know, the investment. Um, we talked a lot about having clear goals and objectives, but in order to measure your ROI, but just let's just talk a little bit more again about the how. So, Kristen, when your team at Jackson Family Wines is evaluating the success of an influencer marketing partnership or campaign, what are you looking at? Again, it goes back to your goals. So let's say it's brand just awareness and tapping into new audiences. Um, a lot of uh, what we are looking at is like reach and engagement. So pretty simple, just awareness metrics. We add a layer to that. Sometimes if we're like, if there's a very specific call to action driving people to the website, we do, you know, we send them a link. We've tracked that. So like just website conversion. Um, if it's really a, we're trying to sell this wine or we're trying to get mailing list signups. I mean, there's really easy ways. Everyone should know how to track that on their own website. Mm-hmm. That's why I think like that that digital pathway is really important and it's it's really important for your consumer, but it's really important if you actually are trying to measure something. Um, so we set KPIs based on those conversations around reach with the influencer. We like to have conversation of like, what is your engagement level? Like, what what are your expectations of reach? This is what we're trying to get to. Do we feel like we can mutually get there? Those are important realistic conversations because I feel like we're setting realistic goals. A lot of what, so that's very much like top funnel marketing right there. Mm-hmm. Um, conversion is actually something I think is very easy to track. You know, it's like, did you sell the wine? Just make sure you're setting up, you know, very exclusive promo codes so you know exactly Mm -hmm. where to attribute those sales are, you know, basically trackable links, um, setting up ones that are unique to that influencer um, and just see where it goes. Ticket sales, you know, give them them some value add as well. I think that the wine industry has for a long time had this notion that the sheer access and honor of buying our wine (laughs) is a ad value or somehow this like really great offer. To be honest, it's not. I think most consumers under 50, under 50, don't see that as much of an ad value unless we're talking about the like 400, 500, $600 bottles of wine, only 200 cases were made. Like real scarcity exists and they know it because they can't buy it on the like secondary market. I mean, we have the internet. Much cheaper. We can see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just think like, and I laugh when I say 50 and under, 40 and under. I mean, these are not young consumers. I mean, yeah, these yeah. are, these are like, you know, Majority millennials, you know, and we're getting older. Um, and I think that we have to think about the fact that they're very digitally empowered mm-hmm. and they're very confident in their buying because of it. So like, you can't really pull the wool over their eyes anymore. Nope. So be transparent, give them a pathway and just be really realistic with your partners of like what your goals are. I love that when we've worked with Amanda and you've said this a hundred times, like, what do you want from me? It's right. kind of the question. And if you can't answer that question, yeah. you're, it's too soon. You're not ready to like engage. Take um, a couple steps back. So like take yeah. a couple steps back and think about like, what do you want from this person? Like follow them for a couple of weeks. Like look at right. their content, look at the comments, look what their audience 
is engaged with the most and what they talk about and then think about is this a good fit for me but yeah the what do you want for me yes. I think is uh, really important to ask yourself yeah. I can do a lot of things but I cannot come up with your marketing plan for yeah. you yes. <laughs> yes that is that is the winery's job I agree 100% that's our job but yeah and Amanda, the value is there in a lot of ways of course Amanda what kind of metrics are you typically providing or being asked to provide by your partners yeah I, I um, it's always included in the contract so I, one thing that I do want to recommend for wineries or agencies that are just starting out with influencer marketing, which hopefully we're not just starting out there, mm-hmm. is to make sure that it's in your contract that you yep. um, give to your influencers, you know, metrics reporting within a week. Um, one thing that I've loved is there's a few platforms out there that will uh, actually tie into the back end of your Instagram and your TikTok to show you the metrics in real time. So you're mm-hmm. not screenshotting or updating whatever. You can actually see them because things do happen over time and metrics change and sometimes, you know, uh, content takes off at a later date after that one week of metrics reporting happens. Mm-hmm. So I love I love when they have that. I know it's not always possible. Um, yeah. it's, they, they, it can be expensive. It, exactly. It can yeah. be more expensive. But then the other thing is just what I'm actually reporting is everything from likes and comments, obviously. But for me, the most valuable are the saves and the shares. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think those things really speak volumes about the content. It means that it's really resonated. It Absolutely. shows that people mm-hmm. really want to engage with the content. It means that they either want to revisit it or they want to talk about it with a friend and have a further conversation. That means the conversation's probably continuing in the DMs in some regard. I will also screenshot re- relevant comments mm-hmm. uh, and share with some of my partners because I think that shows that not only was the the content successful, but it also shows that it was meaningful. It shows right. that people, it shows what people really got out of it. Mm-hmm. And right. so if we're thinking about what our goals were, I'll try to find related contents that have met or exceeded the goal that we had in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, ways that I'll do that, obviously, I'll screenshot things. I'll report it in Excel spreadsheet if they don't have um, ways to aggregate that themselves with a software program. But outside of that, it's really just screenshots and, and reporting and making right, sure right. that if anything major changes, that you update the client with that as well. Yeah. I think that's a very nice thing you do, too, with, like, updating the Definitely. client. I think it, mm-hmm. at some point, I do think, as the brand, you do have to step in and, start, and yeah. keep monitoring that client content. What I love about what ha- is happening with Instagram and on TikTok, even though we as a winery can't really be there yet generating content, even though I'm like, just wait, wait, mm-hmm. it will be there it's coming. Soon. Be ready. You never know. It'll be like tomorrow and we'll jump on it. But um, the lifetime value of content is such a different conversation now because of the way that TikTok and Insta- well, Meta and Instagram is is aggregating content based yeah. on what you're looking for, what you've already engaged with. And content from months ago will get populated in your search feed. And then suddenly something Amanda did maybe six months ago, even 12 months ago, will suddenly go like go viral again right. and go crazy again because that topic became relevant again. Mm-hmm. And then boom, suddenly, oh my gosh, this content we created with her is suddenly going viral again because it's really relevant. Totally. So that's what I think too is like relevant content. But that's where you do have to continue to monitor that. And I do think like influencers that one of the takeaways, spoiler alert, in our <laughs> session tomorrow is actually about like continuing the relationship. Yeah. And I think that when you have someone, if it's like a one and done and you just like don't continue to build a relationship and foster it, even if it isn't based on an actual campaign, you lose valuable insights into sure. like the success of your content. And so it you have to look at it like any relationship in be it with media it's a media relationship that's how yeah. i tell my team to look at it but yeah the lifetime value of content is just such a different ball game now and mm-hmm. that once again mm-hmm. is a really good reason to do influencer marketing partnerships right. <laughs> because usually it's their content that is what's coming through as 
yeah. viral over and over again because they know what's going to resonate. Exactly. Yeah, it's that, topical. That print ad doesn't really come up in recycling at, at all on, on a digital space, right? It Maybe it comes yeah. up in the recycling bin. But anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's like 12th grade art their project at school where they have to cut out these things yeah, from the magazine. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Not exactly the marketing plan no. we had in mind. I mean, there's a time and place for print ads, but, you know, I think uh, we've taught, yeah. hopefully we've convinced everyone the value in uh, influencer marketing from that digital perspective. All right, so we're going to wind down now with our rapid-fire quiz that we do at the end of every episode. So I'll ask you uh, each to answer these questions in just one or two sentences. So we'll start with question number one. Amanda, we'll start with you. What is your number one tip for mastering the U.S. market? I think the U.S. and maybe it's a specific demographic really can smell the BS from a mile away. You know, if it feels forced and if it feels like it's going to be an issue, it's going to be an issue. So, like, it's a trust your gut thing, but also just, like, authenticity, transparency. These are not new ideas, but I think the U.S. really can smell it, especially with... TikTok, just yeah. telling yeah. like it is these days. Great advice. Kristen, how about you? What's your number one tip for mastering the U.S. wine market? Think of the average wine consumer, not mm. the novice, not the expert. But for the most part, most most consumers, even buying luxury wines, and I'm sure, Amanda, you saw this at press when mm-hmm. you were on the floor selling $1,000 bottles of wine to people, that like most people are kind of have an average amount of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they're buying luxury products. They're buying wine in the grocery store. Most of them are the average wine consumer. We tend to overcomplicate wine Mm -hmm. all the time, and I think we convince ourselves of that in the luxury space even more because we make this assumption that higher-end wines means smarter consumer or more expert consumer. That's actually not true when you look at the research and the consumer research. So I think that you really need to think of the average consumer, not the novice and not the expert, and kind of try to zero in the middle, I think, like I always say, the middle is a lovely place to be because that's Mm -hmm. where most of your consumers are. I like that. There's other ways to target the the other two. One of my favorite things to do is go to, so I I spend a lot of time in Pennsylvania, and I will go to the PA Fine Wine and Liquor Shops, and I will just walk around for like 20 Mm -hmm. minutes, and I listen to what people are asking for, what they're talking about, how they're motivated, and what scares them, and it's so telling, and I highly recommend anyone do that. Grocery stores, Costco, Total, any of your big stores where there's a lot of people making a lot of different decisions, usually in that sort of yep. average. Like, don't go to your super niche place. Go right. to, like, something bigger. Spend a little time, walk around, and just, yeah. just listen. Even a wine yeah. shop in San Francisco, which is, like, the backyard of wine country. I have to tell this story. Ray Isle, who's the wine editor of Food & Wine magazine, he actually came out and did sort of, like, underground, didn't mm-hmm. tell people who he was, and went to a few wineries. One of the wineries he went to for us was La Crema, and he wanted to understand how the consumer interprets Chardonnay. Right. It, like, blew his mind. He's yeah. like, these people don't, they don't even really know what they're drinking. One of them said, I love how, I love the, you know, the oak and the, the butteriness. The other person was like, I love it because there's no not much oak and it's not buttery. <laughs> and it's the same wine. And I think, I told him, I said, this is what I'm talking about. Like, the average yeah. consumer, they just like what they like. And they mm-hmm. want to be told enough about the wine so they can make a decision based on what they like. And I always tell people when they ask me, like, oh, is this a good wine? I'm like, do you like it? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, great. I did not come from the wine industry. I started in tech. So I came in as more of an average consumer. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly tried to push marketing strategies that always thought that their consumer was an expert. And I'm like, nope, they're not. Research will prove this. But I think we all need to just remember, like, the average consumer is yeah. the typical consumer in the United right. States. Get out of your bubbles. Talk to yeah. other people about wine. I think that's a really, really good advice. Number two, 
Kristen, we'll start with you this time. What is something you might have told your younger self about selling or can say marketing, in this case, wine in the U.S.? My younger self? Um, well, having come from a completely different industry, I think I would have told myself to, like, be patient. I brought a lot of new ideas to the wine industry, um, but I kept raising my hand. I kept pushing. I didn't stop. There's ideas I brought into the industry when I started 12 years ago that I'm starting to finally see realized. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't let it go because I knew it was the right thing because it was very focused on the consumer. But yeah. um, I would just remind myself to always have patience, continue to push if you feel it's the right thing to do. And I always just tell people, stay curious and ask questions. Um, and you, if you do those things, I think you'll stay ahead. But I think patience is important. New yeah. ideas are hard to latch onto in any industry. And so when you're bringing new ideas, just like anyone out there, that is going to try to push influencer marketing into their brand or winery or owner or organization mm-hmm. or winemaker. If you know it's the right idea, just don't don't let the first no yeah. stand you down. It's great advice. And have patience. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda, how about you? What is something you might have told your younger professional wine self? Yeah, I'm like Kristen. I didn't come from the wine world, so there's a lot of a big learning curve for me when I was 24, 25 getting into it. But I think... In the content creation world, one of the things, and I think in general, like one of the best things you can do is have an opinion and and a Mm -hmm. point of view. And I think when I was younger, I really wanted to be everything to everyone. And Mm -hmm. I've I've realized over the years that it's it's one, it's not possible, and two, that's not how you build a truly engaged audience. Like you really have to stand for something, Mm -hmm. and it can't be everything. And I think that's important for wineries to understand and partners to understand as well that. My brand is for a particular audience, it, it, yeah. and it you know it does. It's a reflection of me and and my likes and dislikes. And I think by the same token, you know, I didn't like I said I didn't come from a wine background, and I think my insecurities really got the best of me for a long time, and I was mm-hmm. afraid to show that. And I think knowing what I know now, everyone feels those insecurities, especially around wine. And so being more comfortable in showing what I don't know and being okay with not knowing something. Um, is something that I would have. I wish I would have shown a little bit more of coming. Coming. Yeah, up. showing that vulnerability because, mm-hmm. like Kristen said, most consumers are an average consumer exactly. and they probably have the same questions. Exactly. So. Yeah. All right. Finally, uh, last question. We're here in Verona. We traveled from far places to get here. Kristen, what is your number one favorite travel hack when traveling for work specifically? Bring comfortable shoes. Comfortable shoes. Well, you're tall, so you can say that. No, I have beautiful heels, <laughs> and I would always bring them. And I. Now I'm just like, nope, I'm like, I'm bringing the shoes that aren't going to require a lot of tape and band-aids at the end of the trip. Um, Wear comfortable shoes. You're walking a lot. You don't want to be in pain. Great. Great tip. Great tip. (laughs) For those, you know. And men, too. I've had a lot of men wish they brought different shoes. Great point. Those Italian shoes are beautiful, but got to break them in. Oh, yeah. Amanda, how about you? This was something that I was influenced to buy conveniently. This is a cord organizer and storage bag. I'd seen it a million times on TikTok before, and I was like, oh, that's, like, kind of cool to have. And I went to go buy something else, and it popped up, and I was like, I should just have one of these. And it's been such a game changer for me. This is literally just, like, a flat bag that has all these little, like, elastic things on it where you stick your cords and your chargers in. And why I love it is because when I go to leave my hotel room, Mm -hmm. if one of those is missing, I know that I've forgotten a cord or a charger. And the amount of times that we've all left them in our hotel rooms and other places, I can look at this bag and know, like, all right, this is missing. And this is what needs to go in there. I have so, seen that, and now I feel like I need to buy. Now you need, you but I want to. I want to like go them. back to the beginning of your story because TikTok made her buy it. Everyone, yes. just remember. 
she was influenced, the, by the influence an influencer was influenced. Yeah, it's a real thing, folks. It's a bill. It's like a I think it's a twenty five billion dollar industry. Sounds about right. Yeah. 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 Some, so so it's an industry. It's a, it's a it's a thriving industry. So you probably want to be a part of it. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you both so much for joining me here today in Verona. How can our listeners connect with you, Kristen? We'll start with you. Yeah, um, you can find me, well, you can find me on social media at Vine Ball, V-I-N-E-B-A-L-L, just like it sounds, and then also on LinkedIn as Kristen Wrightsoul. Um, those are the best two places to track me down. Great. Amanda? No surprise. You can find me on social <laughs> at somvivant, S-O-M-M-V-I-V-A-N-T on Instagram. It's the same thing with an underscore between the som and the vivant on TikTok. I did a little survey of influencers uh, to ask how they prefer to be contacted. Oh. And it was via email. So most of us have a little email button on our Instagram Great. or a way to contact us. I do as well. So if you are interested in partnering or have more questions, please shoot me an email using that yeah. option. I have to say I'm the same. I really hate when people DM me like work questions or ask to yeah. like, I'm like, please just email me. That's the only way I can keep everything yeah. organized. I so. was so I'm like, you can message yeah. me on LinkedIn. I will answer you and yeah. I will give you my email. And I'll give you my email. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. People <laughs> aren't seeking me out as yeah. much, but I will say like I've helped, I, I do help and give advice to folks that are starting out and wanting to yeah. take a step forward. I'll look at this is my plan and I'm like, this looks great. And so um, I, I love when people are willing to kind of take a leap into mm-hmm. something that is unfamiliar to them, but they know is right. And yeah. so yeah. always happy to impart um, advice from the winery side because right. we do it from the big to the small. I appreciate hearing that. All right. Thank you both again. Thank All you. Right, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned each week for new episodes of Masterclass U.S. Wine Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. And remember, if you enjoyed today's show, hit the like and follow buttons wherever you get your podcasts.